Hey, welcome over in the, the venue. Thank you, uh, Jared and the team for leading worship over there. We just had a special guest over here, uh, Herb uh, Henry and his family. Should, should we bring him back again? Should we do that, you think? Would that be all right? Yeah, they are, they're special people. And if you've never been to our primetime class, after this, they're going to be in primetime when this is over with, and so you can go over there and see him uh, uh, again. If you uh, have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, the, uh, all the verses will be in your program, and they'll come up on the jumbotrons. Uh, welcome again to all of you that are watching online, the radio ministry. Um, if you don't own a Bible, you don't have a Bible, as soon as this gathering's over with, right over here, we have the altar room. There's one right over there in the, uh, the venue also, and we'd be more than happy. It'd be a, a real privilege and an honor to give you a Bible. And they're not just any kind of Bible. They're a study Bible, so it'll really help you understand all the different books, why they were written. There's little helpful notes throughout it. And so if you don't have a Bible, make sure you go in there and um, pick one of them up. In Matthew chapter uh, 6, Jesus talks about three things that uh, should be a part of every Christian's life. They should be a, a natural part of every believer's life. It's not the only three things that'll be a, about our lives, but there are three things that you know just ought to be a part of who we are as followers of Jesus. Jesus refers to them as, as good deeds, or some of your Bibles will say righteous acts. It says this in verse one. Jesus said, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give, this is the first good deed, this is the first righteous act. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and in the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gift in private and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now I want you to notice what Jesus said there. He said, when you give, not if you give, Jesus makes the assumption that giving is just a natural part of a believer's life. We just need to be very careful in, in how we go about giving. Jesus said that giving is a good thing. It's a, it's a good deed that every Christian should, you know, be involved in. And let me just tell you this. Here at Big Valley Grace, you know, we send those little bags kind of down the rows. And it's a private act between you and God or you and your family, your spouse and God. The thought there isn't that you wave your check around and show everybody where the comma is and you know, and you know, how much you're giving. It's just this moment between you and God, you and your family and God, and here's our gift. Here's our way to, to worship you, Lord. And just to let you know, because I'm asked this question a lot, um, I literally never see your gifts that are given to the Lord. When you put your offering in that basket, it is collected by our ushering team and it's immediately put into a safe. There comes a moment on Monday when a team of people, most of them are lay people, 
along with some of our accountants here, will gather together in a room, and I'm not even sure what room that is, and then they will, uh, you know, count it and track it all. Obviously, somebody needs to know what you give because you want to receive that little sheet of paper at the end of the year so you can, you know, get a write-off on your taxes. But I, I don't know. I don't know what anybody gives. I don't know what anybody gives. Nobody. I don't get a sheet of paper that tells me, here's what everybody gives. I don't see that. In fact, I want you to know, my signature doesn't mean anything around here. It doesn't, and that's by design. I don't, I don't want my signature to mean anything. I can't write a check and put my name on anything. That's all done with other people, and you have to have at least two uh, or more signatures on anything to, to get a, a, a check made. We, we do our best to honor what the scriptures say, that your giving is just between you and the Lord. And, Without a doubt, I, I know that most of you do give. It's a natural part of your life. You're very generous people. Last weekend, we had a special offering over and above what we normally take for the people of Nepal, and about $10,000 came in, and that was over and above. Some of you just went to the websites, we know, and you just made your donation that way. And we'll take that $10,000, and every single nickel of that money will go to organizations that are on the ground doing good things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Roger Swear sitting right over here. He's our pastor of, uh, of our uh, global outreach. Really, everything will kind of be funneled through him, and he'll make sure it gets into all the right hands so that we know that we're being a blessing to the, the, the people there. Um, then Jesus said this in verse five, he says, when you pray, here's the second good deed. Here's the second righteous act. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything He'll be the one that will reward you. Once again, I want you to notice what Jesus said. He said, when you pray, not, not if you pray. Jesus makes the assumption that praying, like giving, is just another natural part of a believer's life. We just need to be very careful about how we go about it. And as I said, this was the, the second good deed. Jesus says that praying is a good deed. It's something that every Christian should be involved in. Now, without a doubt, most of you here pray. I know that. It's a natural part of your life, and the Bible says that like giving, Jesus sees it. When you give, he sees it, and he'll reward you for that. The Bible says that, that Jesus sees it when you, when you pray, and you'll be rewarded for, for that. Then Jesus said this in verse 16. He said, and when you fast, this is the third good deed. This is the third righteous act, if you will. Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so that people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will then reward you for it. As I said, this is the third good deed that Jesus mentions here in Matthew chapter six. And once again, did you notice what he said? He said, when you fast, not if you fast. 
Jesus makes the assumption that like giving and praying, fasting is just gonna be a normal uh, part of a believer's life. That fasting will be a, a, a part of a Christian's you know, rhythm of, of their life, if you will. We just need to be very careful about how we go about it. This past week, I was, as I was studying, I was amazed at all the references in the Bible to fasting. People in the Bible who had fasted, Moses, Samson, Samuel, Hannah, David, Elijah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, John the Baptist and his disciples, Paul, and the list goes on and on and on. Many of the early church leaders fasted, Calvin, Wesley, Luther, Whitfield, and many others. The Bible tells us that Jesus himself fasted. Now, unlike giving and fasting or, or praying, fasting tends to be something that most Christians struggle with. In fact, um, I know that you're generous people. I know that giving is a natural part of your life. I, I know it. I know that praying is just a natural part of your life. This is a, a church that you, you, you pray. You're on your knees often, I know. But fasting, probably most of you here have never participated in. In fact, the chances are pretty good you don't even really know what fasting really is. And yet, Jesus makes the assumption that it's just gonna be a part of your daily life or certainly a rhythm of your life. So let me answer a few basic questions about fasting, okay? Number one, what exactly is it? Well, the answer is fasting means you voluntarily abstain. You voluntarily go without all food and or drink for a period of time, okay? This would be a very basic definition of fasting. It could be one meal in a day, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner. It could be all three meals without, within the course of, of the day. It could be you go without uh, eating uh, for a week. It could be that you fast for a month. But the, the baseline of this word fasting simply means that you're gonna abstain, you're gonna go without all food and or drink for a, a period of time. But why? Why would you wanna fast? My son you know, said to me the other day, you know, Dad, you know, why would anybody wanna give up food? You know, what's the point of that, especially ice cream? You know? Really? Is that, is that included in this? You know? Um, well, this is the second question that I want to answer, and it's the much more weighty question, and that is, what is the point of fasting? Well, fasting is all about being with God in a very, very special time of, of prayer, okay? Prayer always goes hand in hand with fasting, always. You can pray without fasting, but you can't fast without praying. It's about having an intense focus on God and his power in your life. The reason you read about all these great people in the Bible that fasted and these church leaders throughout the ages that fasted wasn't because they were trying to lose weight or they were, they were trying to improve their health or whatever. They fasted because it got them to focus on God in a very, very special way. It got them to focus on God's power and presence in their life in a special way. It got them to better concentrate upon God and his power in their lives. They were so consumed with some matter that it was more important to be with God and pray than it was to eat, you see. 
This is the, the big idea, if you will, behind fasting. Biblical fasting is all about being with God for the purpose of intense prayer. Dr. MacArthur said this, he said, quote, genuine fasting is simply a part of concentrated intense prayer and concern for the Lord, his will, and his work. That's what it is. That, that you're with God in prayer in a very, very special and unique way. You're concerned about him. You're, you're concerned about his, his will. You're concerned about his work and how you fit into that. What your role is as a follower of, of, of Jesus Christ. Now let me lay this out for you. When you make the decision to fast, when you make the decision to forego meal, you, you, you take the time that it would have taken to make the meal, the time it would have taken to eat the meal, or the time it would have taken you to maybe drive to get to the meal, and you take that time and you set it aside, it becomes a very holy, sacred moment where you get to be with the Lord. It, it isn't, well, you know, I'm not gonna eat lunch today, and uh, so I'm just gonna take that time I would have taken to eat or drive to get there, and I'm gonna go you know, do my shopping at Target. That, that, that's not the point. The point is you take that time it would have taken you to make it and, and eat it and, and all that kind of stuff, and you, you say, I'm gonna forego that so that I can be with the Lord in this very, very special time of prayer where I'm seeking him, I'm seeking his will for my life, for my family, for my business. I'm seeking what, what God would have me to do with my one life while I'm living in here on, on planet Earth. You got one shot at this thing called life. One, Christian. And too many times, I, I think, uh, especially in the American church, we just kind of fumble around, bumble around, and we're not very um, effective in what God wants us to do with our lives. And when you stop and fast and pray, what it does is, it, it, instead of there being this spotlight on life and what's going on in my family and all this stuff, it's, it's like a laser beam. You're saying to God, God, this is such an important moment that I'm gonna forego food that I could be with you, that I could pray. And I could know what your will is for my life, for my family, for my business. You see, how this kind of works is this, is that you know, these physical bodies of ours need, um, need energy. It's like your car needs gas. You know, you gotta stop at the gas station every now and then, put gas into the car, because if it doesn't have gas, it doesn't run. These physical bodies of ours need caloric intake. You have to put calories into this thing so that it'll run, so that it'll work. And when you fast, what you're saying is, I am not gonna put gas into the tank. I'm not gonna take the caloric intake. And I'm gonna trust you and your power to get me through this moment, through this season of breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever it might be. You're, you're willing to weaken the flesh 
so that you can trust more in the power of God's Spirit that lives within you, the Holy Spirit, you see. You may, you may fast from food so that you can better feast, if you will, on God, His Word, His will, whatever all that, whatever those words are that you might want to, to, to use. You see, one of the, the beautiful things about fasting is that it, it keeps you in a great place. It keeps you on your knees be, before God. It keeps you in a place of dependency upon God. It lets God know that you're serious about the issue. And the Bible says that, that, that God sees it when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. He sees it, and Jesus said that God the Father will reward you for it. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that reward looks like. It's gonna look different in all of our individual lives. It'll look different in our families. It'll look different in our businesses or whatever it is. It'll look different in our churches. But the Bible says that God sees it, and he'll reward that, that moment. The time that you spend praying, reading the scriptures, praying, meditating on the scriptures, praying, asking God for wisdom, praying. I mean, fasting is a, a very, very unique, special uh, uh, time. I wanna remind everybody of Paul's great prayer in Ephesians chapter one. He said this. He said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul writes to uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ thousands of years ago at a church called Ephesus. They were believers, but, but there is an implication for us too. And he says, hey listen, I'm praying that you would understand the power that you have within you. You see, the Holy Spirit fills Paul's life and the Holy Spirit wanted us to understand something, that there is unbelievable power within us. And it doesn't come from, you know, the pizza that we're gonna have at lunch. That, that, that gives us a, another kind of power. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone. We gotta have some caloric intake, but we live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, this is what energizes the Holy Spirit within us. And Paul says, I'm praying that, that you would get, you would understand this power. And I'm not sure a lot of believers really understand the, the power that we have within us. Ephesians chapter three says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. He's able to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. In Galatians chapter two, the scriptures say, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, if you know Jesus as your savior, if you recognize that your sin had separated you from God, if you recognize that you were dead in your sins, you recognize there wasn't anything you could do about your, your salvation, you, you, you were just a dead man walking, you recognize that God opened your eyes to that truth. He opened your eyes to the fact that he loved you so much he sent his son Jesus Christ to come and die and uh, you know, rise from the grave for you. If you've received him into your life, the Bible says he lives in you. His power is in 
in you, you see. Colossians 1 says, that's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's power that works within me. The Bible tells us this great truth in 1 John chapter 4. God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. You see, one of the, the, the great truths of the Bible is that God's Holy Spirit lives in you, which means his power lives in you. But here's the deal. Here's the reality of life, and you'll all get it. Is sometimes life can get so crazy, you know, we're taking care of our families and we're taking care of our kids and we're going to work and we're trying to keep our businesses going and we're trying to, you know, you know sell the, our, the car, make the deal, close the deal, close the case. We're just so busy and we got our hobbies and we're playing tennis. And we're, life gets so crazy and hectic, we forget about this unbelievable truth that Christ lives in us which means his power is in us. And I think it's one of the enemy's great strategies. If I can just get you so busy, you forget about the fact that you have God's power within you, see? And, and one of the things that fasting does, when you, when you put it on your calendar kind of a thing, it gets you to stop and focus on that unbelievable truth that God lives in me, which means his power is available to me. His wisdom is available to me. In whatever the, the scenario is that you and your family or you as an individual are, are facing. If you're a single person here and you wanna be married or maybe you're dating somebody, let me tell you something. What a great moment to stop and pray and fast and say, God, help me. I'm about ready to make a decision that will change my life forever. And I wanna know what your wisdom is in all this. This is the kind of guy I ought to date. Is this the kind of gal I ought to date? Is this the kind of person I ought to you know, enter into a covenantal relationship with? I mean, there are some weighty things out there that we ought to be praying and fasting about, and I'm gonna talk about those in, in just a minute. Psalms 46 says, be still and know that I'm God. He doesn't say just be still. Because, let me tell you something, your flesh is so powerful, if you're just still, I guarantee you, your flesh the, will make you think about all kinds of stuff. And none of it's good. He says, be still. Still and know, know, know I'm God. Be still and, and know the great truths in this book. Know about my character. Know about my promises. I look, family, I didn't find any place in here where it says, man, get yourself super busy and know in the midst of all that. that I'm, no, he says, be still, you gotta stop. You just gotta stop and go, okay, turn the cell phone off. That's blasphemous, Pastor. <laughs> what are you talking about? Turn my cell phone off. Just turn it off. Just say, God, here I am. I'm gonna be still and know that you're God. King David said this in Psalms 105, he said, depend on the Lord and in his strength, always go to him for help, you see? See, God likes it when you depend on him for the things that you're facing in life. 
God likes it when you spend time talking with him about whatever's going on in your life. He likes that. One of the things that we do, though, is we always go other places, don't we, you know? Uh, Nothing wrong with talking with your spouse. Nothing wrong with calling your pastor. Nothing wrong with any of that. God wants us to gather wisdom, and I get it. But the first place God wants you to go isn't to your pastor, isn't to your spouse, isn't to your friend. The first place God wants you to go when things are going kind of wacky in your life is you go to him. And you just be still and know that he's God. And now, now he may send you to your pastor. God may say, go talk to your pastor, go, go talk to your buddy, go talk to somebody. That might be where God supplies the answer. But you always want to start with him, you see? That's where you want to go. Now, one of the interesting things uh, that you find when you read the Bible is that fasting is always, as I said, connected with, with some major thing that's going on in your life. In other words, over and over again, the Bible tells us to pray about everything, right? Philippians chapter four says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Notice that he doesn't say fast about everything. He says pray about everything. Fasting, when you look in the scriptures, is always, uh, always kind of goes hand in hand with a couple of, of, of things. In other words, the Bible doesn't tell us to fast, just to fast. But fasting is, is a, kind of a unique moment. And I want to give you three, at least three of the, these moments in Scripture where the Bible says you ought to fast. And the first one is this, okay? Fasting and, 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 and praying or whatever is a good thing to do when you're facing something huge, something major. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat has a, a problem. There are these three major nations, armies that have gathered and they've declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. So Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. Anybody would be. There were three major armies coming to destroy you, kill you, kill all of, you know, you know, your family. You would be terrified. And Jehoshaphat's terrified here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And it says this, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in uh, uh, Judah to, to begin fasting. See, the first thing he did was this. He's scared, he's terrified, and which, which you, you're just gonna be in a scenario like that, but he says, hey, look, here's what we gotta do. We gotta get everybody to fast. When something major is going on in your individual life, is going on in your family, in your marriage, in your business, or whatever it is, and it's got you kind of worked up a little bit. You're like Jehoshaphat, and you're, maybe you're terrified. I can't fix normal. That's normal to be terrified. It's what Jehoshaphat does that we all need to learn from. Man, I just need to fast. I need to call a family fast. 
I'm going to get my family to fast, get my husband, my wife, my kids, whoever it is. I'm going to get grandma and grandpa. I'm going to get my family to fast over this issue. It's a big deal, you see. Nehemiah is another great example. Nehemiah has just received a report that things weren't going well for the Jews that had returned to Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem had been torn down. The gates had been destroyed by fire. Everything was a mess. And it says this in verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1. When I heard this, when Nehemiah heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed. That's a good thing to do. He's facing something huge, something major's going on. And so he says, okay, here, here's what we need to do. We need to fast. Or I certainly need to fast. The great apostle Paul and his good friend Barnabas were facing something huge. They had, they had to appoint elders at all the churches that they had planted. And it says this in Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders uh, uh, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Imagine, they had gone around to all these cities and planted all these churches. This was a, a huge moment in the life of the early church, if you will. And so here they are about ready to leave, and man, we got this huge decision. Who are we going to put as overseers of the church? And so they not only prayed, but they fasted, you see. When Jesus faced something huge, he fasted. It says this in Matthew chapter four, when, when Jesus was led by the Spirit in, uh, into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. And then the next phrase kind of makes some sense, and, and he became very hungry. Jesus knew what he was gonna face. There was something big going down. And so what does he do? Obviously, he was praying. But he adds to it something very unique, and that is the idea of fasting. In Matthew chapter 17, a, a, a man brings his epileptic son to the disciples and asks them to heal him, but they can't do it. So they bring this boy to um, Jesus, and Jesus said this, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. You see, some things can be handled just by simply praying, just by simply spending time alone with the Lord in prayer. A lot of things can be handled, but there are some moments where you add this other element in, and somehow it matters to God when you do. God sees it, and he honors that, that, that moment. Uh, number two, or the second time it's good to fast is this. Prayer and fasting is a good thing to do when you're serious about your personal holiness. Okay? In 1 Samuel, the people are living in, in sin, okay? They've rejected God. They've rejected his word. And there comes this moment when they come to their senses, if you will, and they want to return to God. They want to, you know, be obedient again. And it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, if you are really serious about wanting to return to the Lord, get rid of all your foreign gods and your, uh, your images of Asherah. Determine to obey only the Lord, then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of all their images of Baal and they worshiped only the Lord. 
Then Samuel told them, gather all of Israel in, to Mitzvah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mitzvah, and in a great ceremony, they drew water from the well, poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day, and they confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. Here was a group of people that they, they, they recognized they weren't living holy lives. They were living outside the will of God. They were living in disobedience. There's lots of different ways you could put this. And they come to their senses and they say, you know what, here's the deal. We're blowing it. We, we, we need to follow the Lord. We, we, we need to, you know, honor him and not live in disobedience anymore. And a part of that moment wasn't just praying, but a part of that moment was, let's fast. Let's let God know how important this really is to us, that we would actually go without food and trust him for the nourishment that we, 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 we need. God himself said this in Joel chapter two, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and, and weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothes you know, in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Hey, who, who cares about ruining a good suit? Uh, there, there's something else that I want you to do when you return to me, when you're concerned about your, your holiness, your, your righteousness, if you will. And that is, you come fasting and weeping and mourning. The Bible says this in Nehemiah chapter nine, on October 31st, the people assembled again and uh, this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their head. Those of Israelite uh, dis, uh, descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sin and the sins of their ancestors. You see, beloved, it's, it's really difficult to get alone with the Lord and say, okay, I'm gonna give up my breakfast or I'm gonna give up my lunch or I'm gonna give up my dinner and I'm setting this, side of uh, this time aside. It's becoming a sacred moment a holy moment, a reverent moment in my day, and I'm gonna spend some time praying. Hard to go there if you're living in sin, if you got a bunch of sin and junk in your life, if you're just in brazen disobedience to God. And so here were these people in the Old Testament who were saying, man, we're blowing it. We need to get right with the Lord. And so fasting was um, a, a part of it. Second Peter chapter three says, and so dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. God wants his people to live pure lives, blameless lives. James, our brother said this, religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And basically, that's uh, James's version of the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That is keeping your life uh, from being you know, stained and polluted. That's how you love God. That, that, that's how you show the Lord how much you love him is by keeping your life 
you know, without a bunch of junk and sin in your life. And then he says, you know, uh, uh, look after orphans and widows. That's the second greatest commandment, love others the way you love yourself. And he says, that's what real religion looks like. Uh, one version says it like this, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And beloved, here's the deal. Uh, this side of glory, all of us are gonna be corrupted by the world. There's gonna come moments when it happens. None of us are gonna live a perfect life, none of us. And if anybody tells you they're living a perfect life, you know what, they're lying. They're just lying. And one of the things that we recognize here at Big Valley Grace is that, you know what, this side of glory with our flesh and the demons and all this stuff, we're gonna blow it at times. No one's gonna live out the, 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 the faith perfectly. But here's the deal. There are some who, you know what, it's not that you're not living it out perfectly. You're just living in sin, and you know it. You're just living in sin. You know exactly what God's word says. Your spouse has come and talked to you. Maybe your kids have come and talked to you. Maybe your parents have come and talked to you. Maybe a good friend in the men's ministry has come and talked to you. Maybe somebody in the women's ministry has come and talked to you. Maybe somebody in your small group has come and talked to you. Maybe one of us has come and talked to you. Maybe you've heard from the Lord in one of these gatherings, maybe right now, and you know you're living in sin. That's not okay. It's not okay. God, God's not okay with it. And one of the responsibilities that we all have to one another is that we would go and have conversations with each other. Talked about it last week. And say, hey man, hey brother, hey sister, ah, man, you're, you're involved in something ain't cool, ain't good. God wants us to, to be holy. God wants us to be righteous. And it could be that you have some sin in your life that has just kind of grabbed a hold of you and I don't understand it all. I know sometimes God comes into a life and bam, transforms it and they don't struggle anymore with anything. And then sometimes God comes into a life and there are some things that, wow, it's just a struggle. And we have ministries here, CR and others, that will just be a real blessing to you. Things that get you focused on the Lord and his power in your life, his word. You, 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 you get with a bunch of other guys if you're a guy. You get with a bunch of other gals if you're a gal to hold each other accountable and care about each other. Uh, n number three, and I I'm not going to have any time to go through this because I need to get to the, 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 the application here. But fasting is a good thing to do when you, you, you know, you're mourning the loss of somebody. And second, uh, Samuel, uh, King Saul, and his son Jonathan have, have died. And it says this in chapter one, they mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan. I I here's the deal. When you lose somebody, your spouse... Uh, a child, your parents, your grandparents, a grandchild, somebody really close to you, I want you to know that's a real dangerous moment in your walk with the Lord. I've been here at Big Valley Grace 30 years, and I can't tell you how many people, all of a sudden they lost somebody that they loved deeply, and for whatever reason, the enemy was able to use it, and they're not walking with Christ anymore. 
They got angry at God. They got angry at whoever. You know, why would God let this happen? You know, whatever all the, the stuff is. And one of the things that God's word says is when you lose a loved one, when you lose someone close to you, that's the moment to say, you know what, I'm going to fast. I'm going to make sure that I spend some intense time with the Lord in prayer over this. Wish I had more time to talk about that, but I don't. Here, here's what I want everybody to do. I want everybody to reach inside their program and pull this out, okay? I'm going to get super practical right now in the last few minutes that, that I have, okay? Um, I want us as a church family to do something this summer, June, July, and August, okay? We've never done this before, but, but I'm going to challenge you. You know Christ as your Savior. This is your church. I want to challenge you this summer. Every Friday in June, every Friday in July, every Friday in August, I want us as a church family to fast and pray. I want you as a member of this church to pick, I don't, I don't care if it's breakfast, I don't care if it's lunch, I don't care if it's dinner. It could be all three, it doesn't matter to me, but you're gonna pick one of those meals. And on that Friday, you're gonna say, Lord, I'm gonna join with thousands of others who call Big Valley Grace their home. I'm gonna join with thousands of people on the internet and all that kind of stuff, and I am going to fast. I'm gonna give up, I'm gonna voluntarily give up a meal that I may feast on you. And, and, and um, uh, I was asked last night, I had a zillion emails last night, I was up answering a bunch of them, which was very cool. Um, you wanna do it for a week, I don't care. I just want you to pick Friday. Let's do it all on Friday, okay? And then on the last Friday of the month, we have the dwelling place that the Grovers oversee. And on that last Friday of the month, and I realize this is a little dicier because of your work schedules and stuff, I want us to fast on that Friday and then come down here. And it always kind of begins in the altar room. It's open from 6 a.m. to 1. You can come for 10 minutes, 20, 30. It's a time for you to be alone with the Lord. And the Grovers have set up just a, a beautiful thing in the altar room where you get to just be with the Lord for a time. You make your way into the fireside room, and there's all these little stations where you can pray about different issues. And so on Fridays, the last Friday of June, July, and August, together we'll fast, and then we'll, we'll, we'll make the, the dwelling place just a part of our, our rhythm. And this is what I want you to do, because I know some of you are going, oh man, I'd like to do this, but I don't know what to do. Okay, I'm going I'm to tell you, it's, it's pretty simple. If you're going to get alone, I don't know if you're at work and you don't have a place to be alone, go sit in your car. You got to get alone, you turn off your, your phone, your pager, your, your pacemaker, I, whatever, you, you turn it all off, whatever you got, okay, just turn it all off. So nobody can bother you or whatever, don't turn your pacemakers off, some of you are going to pacemaker <laughs> then, you know I, I, then I feel horrible because uh, you know you're, you're not with us anymore but anyway so you get you just kind of get quiet and this is what you do you always start your time in 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 prayer in, in Thanksgiving praise always begin there just say God I just want to I'm here I am God and I'm fasting today and I've never done this before but I just want to thank you God Thank you for, for loving me so much. Thank you for sending your son Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, to die for me. Thank you that he walked out of the grave. Thank you that you opened my eyes to the truth about me, 
how lost I was. Thank you for opening your, my eyes to the truth of who Jesus was. Thank you for living in me. Thank you for forgiving me of my, my sins. Thank you for leaving me your, your word that I could know more about you. Thank you for my spouse. Oh, thank you for my kids. Thank you for my grandkids. Thank you that I got a roof over my head. Thank you for the job that I have. It may not be the one you, know, you want forever, but you got a job. Thank you that I got food to eat. Thank you that you're sitting in a car that you can drive. Thank you that you, you know, got clothes. Thank you, you know. If you really thought about it, you could spend an hour just thanking the Lord for everything that he has done in your life. And sometimes that's a good thing to do. Just stop and remember all the great things that God has done in your life. And so you always want to begin there. See, too many times we Christians, especially us American Christians, we just want to go right for the stuff. You want to talk to him about all the things you want. Instead of saying, you know what, God, I'm just going to be still right now and just remember how great you are. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for all those things, whatever they are. Thank you for the promises that are in the Word of God. Thank you that I know that you are with me in this moment right here. And thank you that you promise that you're going to reward this moment. So you always start there. Then you want to kind of go into a, a time of confession. You always want to make sure you and God are good. But there isn't anything there. God, you know what, would you reveal to me anything in my life that maybe, you know, I need to deal with? And you better have a yellow pad of paper handy. Because see, someone once said that we, you know, are the only thing God ever created that has the ability to deceive itself. And it's easy to sit in your car alone with God so deceived that you don't think you got any sin in your life. And you know, you're... You're the gold standard for holiness, man. If everybody could just be you, you'd be fantastic. And I know it's easy to know, I know all the sin in my wife's life. And I know all the sin in my kids' life. And I know your sin. Sam, I know your sin, brother. I know. But it's, it's, it's hard to get a grip on our own sin, right? That isn't a moment where you go, man, my spouse, sinful. Hope she, hope she comes to her senses. You, you spend time on you. So you thank God. You spend some time on confession. And, and here's what we're going to do that's going to be kind of fun. And I think kind of special. Is every week when you come in here inside your program, it's going to have the fasting and prayer logo. And then there's going to be two or three uh, specific things that we're all going to pray for. Okay? Now you can pray for all kinds of stuff. But as a family, we're gonna pray for some specific stuff. So next weekend when you come, you're gonna see it in the program. And then on Wednesday, if you go to my Facebook page or our website uh, or the Big Valley website, there'll be a video of me reaffirming those two things, challenging you. Don't forget, Friday's coming. And so I want everybody to make sure you, you, you're, you're friends with our Big Valley page, my page, because on Wednesday I'm going to be posting those things, reminding us as a family about our time of fasting and prayer. But today I'm just going to tell you what those two things are. So write them down, and then Wednesday I'll, I'll post something. The first one is this, is I want us to focus on the great persecution that Christians are experiencing around the world. That's a huge thing. We've been sitting here on comfy chairs, you know, and air-conditioned building, great music, her family, man, and it's just been fantastic fellowship, people out at Cafe Astoria, it's been fantastic. 
And places on the globe today, Christians have been killed. In the midst of all of this, I don't feel guilty about it. I don't feel guilty because I live in America or I'm a part of a great church like this. But, but it is crummy if we don't pray and fast for our brothers and sisters that are losing their lives simply because they're a, a Christian. Uh, we call it praying for the persecuted church, okay? Ask God to hold back evil. Man, with cameras today and all the internet, we, we get an up-close and personal view of evil being perpetrated literally all over the world. And we need to pray that God would hold back that evil. We need to ask God to protect this country. It was about 14 years ago on September 11, 2001, some evil people got onto some planes and flew them into some buildings and 3,000 people died. Well, guess what? Those evil people may not have gotten on another plane, but they're still here. They're evil. And we need to, as a country, just go, hey, God, please protect our country. There, there, are, there are forces at work right now inside our country who just want to do crummy things, real crummy evil things. We need to pray as a, as a church for that. We need to pray for the leaders of our country that God would give them great wisdom as to what they ought to do about ISIS and Al-Qaeda and all these groups out there. You see, no, nobody cares what I think, and nobody cares what you think. We live here in Modesto, California. It's a pinhole on a map, but there are people in places of unbelievable power. And we got, you know, we got all this stuff because of this great nation. We got bombs, man, with cameras in the noses of them. We call them smart bombs. We got kids in our country who can't read, but we got smart bombs. Think that one through and they're just sitting there. And I think we have a responsibility, and I'm not trying to get political here. You may disagree with me, and that's okay. But I think with great power comes great responsibility, and we need to pray for our leaders, those that are in charge, those that have the authority, that, that somehow we might intercede on behalf of uh, you know, our, our brothers and sisters that are living in, in the world. We, we need to pray. Here's something I guarantee you most of you would never think about praying for. Why don't you pray? And, and one of the things I like about Phil and Connie at one of their stations, they had us pray that those that are in, uh, in leadership of ISIS and some of those evil organizations, that somehow they would hear the message of Christ and that maybe their lives would be transformed. You see, Jesus died on the cross for them too. Anyway, that, that's, that's the first big thing that all of us are gonna pray for is the persecuted uh, church. The second thing is, is this, is I want us to pray for our own personal holiness as individuals and as a church. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not God, and I, you know, it comes as a shock, doesn't it? Um, I, I, I do know this. As I said earlier, God's not happy with sin. And I think he's not happy with the sin of our nation. 
But I, I also know that he's not happy with the sin that's just running rampant in his church. And we need to pray that, that we as individuals and us as a church family are living holy lives, righteous lives. And I want us to focus there because you know what, we can go out and try to win the world, but if, if we're not really living it out here, it isn't gonna mean much. We, we, the church has lost a lot of its power and punch because believers within the church aren't living holy. See, I used to speak a lot at uh, Hume Lake camp, Christian camp, to teenagers. And one of the things that I always did, uh, on Thursday or Friday, there was always the, you know, come to Jesus moment, and kids would come forward and give their life to Christ. But before I ever got to Thursday or Friday, on Monday and Tuesday, it was always about the believer. And I would literally tell the non-saved kids that were in the auditorium, and there were thousands of them, hey, look, I, you know, go to sleep, uh, fall, you know, leave, I, I don't care. I'm not talking to you tonight. I'm talking to believers. And part of it was, was that was a night of rededication. And let me tell you what rededication is. That's just a nice way to say that you're repenting of your sin, you're confessing your sin, because if you gotta rededicate your life, that means you're not living your life for the Lord, which means you're living in sin. But we make it sound nice, we're rededicating our lives. No, you're confessing your sin, is what you're doing. And what I wanted those Christian kids to do was this, is you've got to come to grips with your own sin and then you go back into your cabins and you look at that friend that you brought who doesn't know Christ and you say to them, I want you to know I haven't been living a very good life. I haven't um, you know, been an example to you of what a believer looks like. In fact, I've been out drinking as much beer as you've been drinking. I've been smoking as much dope as you've been smoking. My language has kind of been the same as your language. The things I've said about girls or guys, you never know. And I'm sorry. Would you forgive me for my example that I've been? You see, holiness had to start with the believer first. And then we could deal with the, the lost. And so I want us, and we're probably gonna spend a lot of time on that one, that we would be a group of believers who, who looked at the word of God and said, this is our guidepost to our life. That we are gonna follow the Lord in everything that he says, and that we're gonna be quick to confess our sins when we do sin, because you're, you're gonna, all of us are, 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 are going to. And then on Wednesday, you check your Facebook page, the Big Valley's page, go to the website, Big Valley website, and I'll reiterate these two. And then next week when you come, Lord willing, we'll actually have them listed. And, uh, and so I, I think this could be a great summer for you individually, for your family, and for us as a, as a church family, as together we make this commitment. To take a, a meal on Friday and fast, and pray. Hey, over in the venue, why don't you stand? Everybody else in here stand, and, and let, me, uh, let me pray. Father, thanks, Lord, for uh, last night. I dug last night. I loved the fellowship and the music, and you were at work. Thank you for this morning, Lord. So grateful for all of those over in the venue, and thankful for everybody in here. Man, thank you to Herb Henry and his family. Great music. The fellowship of believers is unbelievable. Love being here on the weekends. And thank you for your word, and I hope that many here who name your name 
will take up this summer challenge. And I have the feeling it's gonna make a difference in our lives and in our church's life. We got lots of things, weighty, weighty things that we need to be praying for. And Father, thanks for your goodness, and I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, hey, go get your children. Have a great time in prime time, whatever. The cafe's open. Go get a coffee.